0: Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, Board Certified Psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? What's up guys? So I just want to remind you about the ways you can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dr. Delvina at D R D S and Delta vias and Victor E N A. I no longer have a Dr. Delvina Twitter or a Dr. Delvina Facebook professional page. Both of those were unpublished. Um, I won't get into the details of that, but um, instead of following Dr. Delvina on Twitter, follow the office Twitter page, which is which is D R T. Brain Love, D-R-T, Brain Love, B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E, D-R-T, as in Dr. T, D-R-T. And on Facebook, you can follow the Brain Love Podcast. And of course, if you are not following me on Instagram, follow me at Dr. Delvina. And my website is Dr. Delvina, Dr. Shorten, D-R, and then Delvina, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, dot Help, H-E-L-P, as in help me, help me, Dr. Delvina. And um, tell your friends, tell everybody about the Brain Love Podcast. Please subscribe. Subscribe either on Pandora, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. If you're on Anchor, subscribe on Anchor. Show me some love, y'all. Show me some love. That's right. Hey, hey, hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, it's another Sunday night for the Brain Love Podcast. You guys know who I am, I'm your host, Dr. Delvina Thomas in South Florida, and we're back for another episode. You guys, I'm doing a show tonight, I'm allowing you to take the couch with the North Broward Links and myself, they did a mental health series for men and for women. So, guys, I'm on the couch with the North Broward Links, and we're talking queens and mental health. They did a whole mental health series. Um, You know, they were tasked by their higher-ups to do something more on mental health, and that's happening in a lot of organizations. It it has happened with my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Um, And so the first of the series began with me. Um, I'm going to break this into two parts because it was actually a two-hour virtual conference, and it was open to the public. the um, The two-hour session is moderated by Miss Dion Polite, who is with AARP, and actually, you've heard Dion Polite here on my podcast previously. I interviewed her about her mother's um, battle with ovarian cancer, and also Miss Dion, her own personal situation with uh, with uh, endometriosis and and also ovarian cancer and some other things so it is a really uh, excellent conversation part one which is on tonight starts with me discussing um, the history of of black folks in America and mental health some of you may have heard me discuss some of this some of these things kind of you um, are associated with this whole notion of post-slave syndrome, post-slave traumatic syndrome. Um, So part one is me giving a breakdown, a history, and giving some justification as to why uh, black Americans or African Americans or BIPOC, BIPOC, pardon me, folks in America, um, have been enduring mental health challenges and trauma for so many decades, you know, actually for centuries and, and now we're here, you know, we're in 2022 now. And, um, and we have to understand our past to help us understand the present. I'm not saying to hold on to those things from the past, but it has affected sub- generation after generation after generation. And I do believe that my generation is the last generation that has been directly affected by the ill effects of Jim Crow, right, and civil rights, the civil rights era. My parents were born during... Um, At the end of Jim Crow, beginning of civil rights, that sort of thing. I was born in the 70s, as a lot of my listeners were. Um, And for my parents, their parents, which are my grandparents and my grandparents' parents, um, they are the uh, continued lineage of black gold, of slavery. So I just wanted to give some context into why mental health challenges exist. And I know some, most of you have to know that microaggressions and as well as macroaggressions on our jobs, in the community, when we go in stores to shop, that too has a lot to do with us and how we identify and how we feel and how we interact with our environment. So take a listen tonight to part one. And next Sunday will be part two, and part two is where, really, um, there's some meat. There's a lot of meat tonight, but part two, there's a lot of meat and potatoes because we go into answering a lot of questions, and we break it down. We talk about mental health. We talk about a little bit about primary care. Uh, we talk about doctors, the, the health system in America, and how the health system has treated black Americans, and, and uh, how we were treated in our past. Um, again, History. So I'm so glad you're joining me on the couch tonight. Thank you so much for your support and and following. I love you all, guys. Let's get on this couch. Brain love. Oh, I'm sorry. I almost forgot the most important question. Are you ready to take the couch? Good afternoon, everyone.
1: Thank you so much for being with us um, for the first of a three-part series on mental health. Um, At this time, I would like to welcome and introduce our uh, chapter president, Dr. Angela Lucas
2: Mumford. Dr. Mumford? Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us, and welcome. And to all of our Lynx sisters of the North Power County Florida Chapter of the Lynx Incorporated, thank you. And to our guest speaker, Dr. Delvina Thomas. It is indeed a great pleasure to help you all joining us this afternoon as we seek to mind our mental health. The COVID-19 pandemic is by no means over and continues to have a profound effect on mental health globally. Services for mental health have been disrupted by this pandemic, putting more people at greater risk of stigma and violence. Despite the heightened awareness of mental health issues globally in recent months, the average percentage of government health budget spent only just under 2% for services regarding mental health. Violations of human rights of people with mental health conditions remain all too common, which is why awareness and advocacy are not enough if they are not translated into a robust right space mental health service where we can assemble and recognize the importance of expanding access to quality mental health services. This is why the North Broward County, Florida chapter of the Links Incorporated has launched this mental health series with a mental health walk to show our commitment to activating resources and services to those most vulnerable to this problem. Therefore today, I am calling on everyone on this platform to commit to a concrete call to action to invest in mental health and psychosocial support as part of your own journey towards mental wellness, because there is no health without mental health, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Madam President, thank you. Um, Before I introduce our, our guest speaker, just wanna share a little bit um, uh, the goal of the National Mental Health Initiative of the Links Incorporated is to educate Link members about mental health concerns such as depression, anxiety, and social issues that impact our physical and mental health so that our members and the communities that we serve can take the knowledge learned uh, from what we, what we engage with and really understand uh, the impact and learn tools, um, resources, and tips on how to seek and find treatment. I would like to introduce our uh, guest speaker for this evening, the first session in our three-part series. It is my greatest honor and pleasure um, to introduce you to somebody uh, that I I just really admire so much. Um, And I'm fangirling right now, so excuse that that little giddiness that you feel. Um, Dr. Delvina Thomas is a tireless advocate and nationally recognized mental health expert working to end the stigma of mental illness and educate the public about the brain. She is a mother, an American soldier, a scientist, and a physician who promotes healthy living to strengthen individuals, families, communities, and workplaces around the world. She is an ardent champion for sound mental health and an expert in the development of evidence-based prevention <clears throat> excuse me as well as treatment strategies that foster it trained in medicine and psychiatry at the university of maryland medical systems in baltimore maryland she's a board certif- she's board certified in psychiatry and neurology and maintains a private practice in psychotherapy psychopharmacology and alternative health, including CBD products and medicinal cannabis certifications. Dr. Thomas is a consulting uh, psychiatrist for the National Football League. She maintains hospital privileges at Aventura Hospital in Aventura, Florida, and Broward Health North in Pompano Beach, Florida. She holds key leadership roles on panel discussions and at town hall meetings that have included congressional and community leaders such as United States, Congresswoman Frederica Wilson, civil rights activist, Al Sharpton. Her expertise has been much sought after in the wake of COVID-19 pandemic and the nationwide protests and riots that arose from the death of Minnesota resident, George Floyd while in police custody. Other noted events include June 2020, a featured guest on WUSA Great Day Washington to discuss and provide tips on managing emotions during protests. NBC6 Miami, Breathing While Black, a virtual town hall. Ladies, sisters, and guests, please join me in welcoming Dr. Delvina Thomas. And just let me say that little bit that I shared is just a little bit of the magic that she brings. To this subject. And I, again, am very, very honored to have the opportunity to engage in a um, much needed conversation around women and our mental health. Dr. Delvina,
0: welcome to this platform. Thank you very much. Good evening, ladies, queens. And, um, you know, this is very uh, special for me. It's an honor to be asked to share my expertise as a mental health expert by a group such as the North Broward Links. Um, I feel very privileged to be here today. Um, and again, it's an honor to be asked to be the mental health expert for your mental health platform. And I applaud you ladies for what you do in our community and especially for paying such close attention to mental health and wellness, and giving time to the groups who need it the most, such as women, our men, dedicating time to the men as well and to children. As folks will see as the series goes on, that there will be other discussions for other populations as well, in addition to um, the discussion for the Queens. Um, I was just telling a couple of you prior to uh, starting this virtual event, that I was at the hospital, I do take call at um, Broward Health North off of Sample Road. And today I saw three folks who had attempted suicide. And two of those people were Black women. Um, and so the first thing I would like to say is that suicidal ideation is not something that only happens to certain people. Uh, you know, for a long time, people believed that suicidal ideation, suicide attempts was something that only white folks did. And that is truly, that is just not the truth at all. It's the farthest thing from the truth. Our black boys and girls, little boys and girls have been attempting suicide at alarming rates. And some of them have actually killed themselves. I'm sure folks recall just a couple of months ago, um, the former Miss USA killed herself. She jumped from the 25th floor The 25th floor, if that is not enough to shake your spirit and Mm -hmm. to shake you and to make you discuss mental health and wellness with your children, with every family member, with every person who means something to you, I don't know what else can do it for you. Mm -hmm. That was for me as a mental health expert. I've been doing this since 2003 Mm -hmm. and I have heard every, I believe I've heard everything You know, I've heard so many different stories uh, of folks, uh, different woes and challenges that they have in their life. And when I read the story that this girl jumped from the 25th floor, for me, it said that she truly did not love herself. She didn't love how she looked. She didn't love her appearance. She didn't like anything about herself. And she wanted to ensure that she killed herself. And she did it in a way that disfigured herself completely. Mm -hmm. There's so much meaning behind behaviors and actions that people take. So I want us to go on this journey together so that we can gain an understanding and so we can embrace mental health and wellness more. And so maybe we won't question when our sister is having a challenge. We won't question when our child is going through something Mm -hmm. and they're fearful and they can't talk to you. They can't explain it. I want us to be able to have this conversation so that everyone comes out of this more aware, more knowledgeable, and knows better what to say in certain circumstances and situations. But to do this, we cannot start where we are currently. We have to pull in our history also. From what I see, from the couple of faces that I can see on the screen, we're melanated. We are folks of the African diaspora. And I am a person who, besides the brain, I love history and I love, I love art. And so I try to incorporate these things when I'm talking and when I'm teaching because understanding your past helps you to understand how you came to be, how you came to land where you are. For me, I know that my family, we are descendants of black gold. I am absolutely a descendant of slaves. I am a descendant of slaves. Both of my parents were born in Mississippi. My uh, grandparents and my great-grandparents were sharecroppers, uh, you know housemaids and those those types of, uh, of careers and jobs, and so i 've done some research to understand better as far back as to Africa to understand how did certain things come about and so I hope you guys will allow me to explore and start in the past and bring us forth to where we are currently um, if my sorry i 'm sorry Miss gann if you could start the <laughs> presentation. That's my front y'all.
2: Just so you know, <laughs> we're very, we're very close. We saw each other quite a bit. <laughs> all right.
0: And after getting it started, I just want to say again, I'm I'm honored to be a, room, a amongst this room full of amazing women. I know that all of you are movers and shakers because if you weren't, you wouldn't be here today. Mm. Um, and so uh, if you could go to the very beginning, um, Tamara, it has the, the very first slide. Oh, you going through all the slides, girl. You're showing up all the goodies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there we are. Okay, everyone knows March is Women's History Month. And so as we celebrate Women's History Month, it's important that we that we also pay homage to some of the women from our past who brought us to where we are. Tonight let us pay tribute to those who paved the way for us as we celebrate and we have this conversation about our warriors. If we could go to the next slide please. There have been 450 years of inequality and only 50 years to recover. So you may not be able to Pardon me. If you um have a part of the zoom, you know, you can move that around so that you can see the slide more. Um, but we've had 450 years of an inequality and only 50 years to recover. This is a timeline of the main events in Black history and our and our history here in America. So the transatlantic slave trade started in the 16th century, which we know that the first Blacks didn't arrive here in America until 1619. So there was a legacy of limitations during 400 years. We weren't allowed to buy property. We couldn't um, build houses. We weren't able to have, we didn't have free access to education. We were denied a lot of these things. So it took certain actions, political actions for us to receive certain rights so that we could try to do better and change what was happening in our homes and our lives. There was the 13th amendment. Even after that, there were still things to try to put a thumb on us and keep us down. There were Jim Crow laws. Um, There were things like hangings all over the South. Um, We had the civil rights movement, and then there was affirmative action to try to to bring us up to speed and and make things more equitable in America. And so I just have um, on on the bottom there, there's just a couple of pictures um, for folks who, maybe if you're younger and um, from what I hear, different parts of the country, Um, Some schools teach Black history, some schools do not. They leave it up to your children to teach themselves or for you to teach them. Um, This is something that should not be omitted from our history classes. We should definitely include Black history in all of the schools. Okay, front. I'm sorry. (laughs) This lady, have you guys heard of Lena Baker? No Have you heard of Celia the slave? No, yeah, and so we all know of other folks like um Rosa Parks, um, we know about we we know about some other infamous women, black women, in our history. But these two women, I wanted to mention them because when I learned their stories, it, it just their stories were chilling for me because there's a lot of racism, sexism. And domestic and sexual violence that's faced by all women, but especially Black women and especially back in our history. So Lena Baker, the lady on the left. Lena Baker was the first woman who was executed by the electric chair in Georgia. She was wrongfully convicted of capital murder wrongfully convicted of capital murder of a white man who she worked for. He kept her imprisoned and sexually assaulted her sometimes every day, at times every other day. And there was one day that he came to her and he, he again wanted to assault her. And she told him, told him no more, no more. I can't take this. Please stop. Please don't do this. He raped her and she killed him. She killed him. She admitted what she did. She was arrested and she was taken to jail. And eventually she was tried in court. And the judge said that because she was a black woman, that she had no rights. And so therefore, there was no such thing as self-defense. And what you see there on the picture is what she's quoted as saying before they electrocuted her. Quote, what I done I did in self-defense or I would have killed myself, close quote. Now, this was back then, you know, for someone to have a thought about wanting to kill themselves to escape, to get away from the sexual violence that was being perpetrated against her. On the right side is Celia. Celia was a slave. In 1855, she was found guilty of first-degree murder of the death of her owner. Again, a situation where um, Celia had been kidnapped from her home, taken to the slave owner's property, placed in a some sort of uh, little house or something on his property, and he would rape her um, every other day. He actually impregnated her with two children. She had two children by him and was pregnant a third time. And it was during her third pregnancy she was in the last trimester she asked him not to um to give her a break that she did not want to endure more uh sexual you know activity with this man and he told her no so she killed him and she did this in self-defense and eventually was found guilty and they said she was sentenced to death her the third child that she was pregnant with they said that they would allow her to live long enough so that she could give birth to the third child that was conceived with this slave owner who was raping her. So, you know, they wanted the third child because it was a commodity and the family was planning to take the third child and enslave the third child. Unfortunately, the child was born stillbirth. I'm sure from all the stress and the trauma and everything, the child died. And Celia was, was hanged. They executed her by hanging her. So these two women, I'm, so you're good, you're good. The lady on the left, I'm sure you recognize. This is Rosa Parks, and the lady on the on the right um, is Fannie Lou Hamer. She is quoted as saying the famous quote, "I am sick and tired of being sick and tired." She was a civil rights advocate, a voting rights advocate. She is also from Mississippi, like my family. And this woman is one of thousands of black women who was sterilized against her will. During a surgery to a a minor surgery to remove, I believe it was a fibroid or something. The surgeon decided to perform a hysterectomy on this woman at a young age, making her unable to conceive with her husband. This happened to thousands of Black women in the South. It happened to women, but more so poor Black women. It happened to about 150,000 Black women. That was determined in 1973. Uh, Fannie Lou Hamer was sterilized sometime in the 60s. So she was unable to bear children because the doctor performed an illegal hysterectomy on this woman. Next slide, please. So we walk together, we women as a whole, Black women, Latina women, Black women, we have done so many things together to try to strive to further uh, where we are in America, um, our existence in America, to have more um, equitable uh, situations in terms of jobs, income, the voting rights. Um, Next slide, please. Even in today's modern society, statistics show that women are still at a higher risk of poverty and bear the burden of low-wage jobs and unpaid caregiving work. So when you talk about why are women more likely to suffer from major depressive disorder, these are the types of things you have to factor in. Women are also still victimized by sexual violence, 33% 33% of women, that's one third. That's a big number. 33% of women are likely to be abused and women are still underrepresented in leadership. Only 19, 19% of all members of Congress are women. But long before the YouTube movement, I'm sorry, YouTube, long before the hashtag Me Too movement, I meant to say of the 21st century, their cries for justice fell on deaf ears, cries of thousands of women, specifically women of color who who endured forced sterilization and also sexual um, assaults, as I just explained during these last five or 10 minutes. So we've had barriers in all domains. We've had generational effects. And for women who have carried a child before, um, gave birth to their child and watched their child grow you may be able to appreciate what I'm going to say. And that is this, the energy you have inside of you, those things I believe we pass on to our children while we're carrying them in our bellies. Because you're one, your child is growing inside of you. There's a connection there. You're sharing blood. You're sharing so many things. So that's why it's important women when you're pregnant, not to be stressed. You want to be in a relationship that's not causing you heartache and stress and making you feel on nerves. You want to be in a job that's not making you feel um, angry every other day or not working for a a boss who's a horrible boss. So I just give that as an example, because I believe that these generational traumas that are from our past, you know, imagine an enslaved woman who's pregnant with her fifth child that might be by the master. She's been raped and she's pregnant with the fifth child and knows that that child is going to be stolen from her, taken from her. To feel that way and to be pregnant at the same time is a horrible situation. Next slide, please. And then there's the disparities in health care. Disparities in health and health care. African-Americans as a whole, amongst men and women, still have higher rates of stroke, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, and I mentioned sexual molestation and child ab- and child abuse. We're 40% more likely to have high blood pressure, 10% less likely to have our blood pressure under control, three times as likely to die from heart disease that's caused by high blood pressure in comparison to our Caucasian counterparts, 58.6% of African-Americans do not meet the federal physical activity guidelines. Now that's a, the last study they did was in 2008. So they need an updated study. But at that time, nearly 60% of us supposedly weren't meeting those physical activity guidelines. I would, I would bet my paycheck that that is much better now because you see people doing yoga, getting out here running, getting Pelotons, being more physically active. We have all of these black um, trainers, physical fitness trainers who you see online doing classes. about, if you round up, of African-American women are are considered overweight or obese. Now, all of these things kind of overlap with one another, the high blood pressure, the depression, the sadness, the overeating for comfort, you know, which can lead to being overweight. More than 15% of African-American women say they're in fair or poor health. And a lot of this has, not, has to do with not necessarily our diets or our poor uh, lifestyle, but a lot of this has to do with things like imposter syndrome. It has to do with racism. It has to do with the microaggressions that we experience, some of us on a daily basis in our, in our job, on our jobs or in our workplace. So those things too can affect how we feel and how our body is maintained. this is just a slide to show you the statistics of the representation of women in the workplace and around the world. The bottom line really is that we had no rights um, for a long time, not even over our bodies, as you heard me explain. There was a time when we were considered a man's property. And so as much as, as much work as we've done during these last couple of centuries, we're still really not equal. 53% of entry-level employees are women. So it's okay for us to be entry-level. 40% of us are managers, 35% of us are directors, about a quarter of us are VPs, a quarter of us are senior vice presidents, and about 20% of us are executives. On the right side of this slide, you see some of the special concerns that women have to have to to deal with the things that we have to cope with that may not affect men as much. We know that men also are involved in domestic violence. So I'm not saying that that doesn't happen to men, but it happens more to women. Intimate partner violence, which includes physical, sexual, psychological, all that emotional and verbal abuse abuse sexual violence female genital mutilation is also still occurring uh forced and early marriages next slide so the great thing is that we are the second highest in terms of black women when i say we we own a lot of businesses black women are entrepreneurs black businesses owned by women are on the rise, black owned businesses are on the rise because of black women. The pandemic seemed to serve as an inflection point for many Americans, but especially black women because it inspired a lot of us. It gave us a chance to stop, to pause and think and allow our creative juices to flow. And so a lot of us created businesses And that created an opportunity for us to be able to have more control over our lives and to feel more empowered, which is important as well for your mental health and wellness. Women are now CEOs of Fortune 500 corporations. Uh, There's a woman sitting on on the Supreme Court. Hopefully, there'll be another one. Um, We run prestigious institutions of higher learning. So we've done so many things to further our successes in America. Black women entrepreneurs, we have done that. She did that. Behind every great dream is a doer. This is a show that is on right now. Black women entrepreneurs were the fastest growing demographic of entrepreneurs In the United States, we account for nearly 2.7 million businesses nationwide. There was a study that cited that there's a 22% increase in Black female active business owners between the first quarter of 2020 and the third quarter of 2021. So almost a 25% increase in the amount of Black women business owners. Business Insider and Forbes have also noted the growth of Black-owned business and how Black women are leading and taking charge. She did that. This uh, slide that you see here is a 2019 Netflix documentary, and it's about these women that you see on the slide. They're female business owners and obviously women of color. So... I wanted to ensure that I included something here about self-care because mental health and wellness involves so much. Self-care is one piece of that. Um, There are so many things that we can do to try to prevent certain mental health challenges from happening. Sometimes we're not able to prevent things. Some things will just happen, especially if something like schizophrenia Um, We know that there's a there's DNA. We know that there's uh, genetic linkage. And so there are some things in mental health that you cannot avoid, regardless of what you do. But you can manage your stress better. You know, there's good and there's bad stress. You can manage how you allow yourself to respond to certain things that people do or seems like people are doing to you. Because sometimes we think they're doing something to us, but they're not. It's really not even about us. So. Self-care for all of us are boss ladies, whether it's on the job, whether it's in your home, whether it's, you know, in your relationship, you know, maybe, you know, you and your significant other, you're making decisions during one part of the relationship or regarding some things and your partner's making the decisions for something else. So we're all a boss in our own right. Um, We invest so much into other people and trying to run our families and manage our families that sometimes we forget about ourselves. So today I'm here to remind you not to forget about you, that you have to make yourself a priority. You have to place yourself first. Self-care will look different for different people. So something that I do for my self-care, you may not enjoy it. It may not help you to relax. It may not help you to reset. So you have to determine for yourself what what feels good to you. What is therapeutic for you? What is something that you enjoy that helps you to relax, that allows you to feel at peace? We have to think about these things and we should think about them beforehand. It's always better to try to prevent something as opposed to it happens and then you have to try to catch up or you have to try to do something to um, to extinguish it, to get it to go away. Or to quell whatever it is that you're that you're feeling, so think about that now. How do you take care of yourself? How do you take care of yourself? The the term self care is actually a true term and it's a medical concept. Um, it was introduced by a lady named Audrey Lord in 1988. So it's a true concept. She was an iconic activist and an author who defined the political act of self-preservation. She stated, quote, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare, close quote. So when someone tells you, oh, you're just, you don't need to go to, I'm going to use something simple. I'm going to say the the nail salon. I hope you guys are doing something more than just going to get your nails painted for self-care. (laughs) <laughs> and more than just going to the hair salon because self-care is, is is more than that. You know, I consider that more so maintenance, but that could be your self-care because if that's the only time you get away from your household, your children, your significant other, it's the only time that you're able to, um, to be at peace and away from folks, then maybe that's your self-care. But I would challenge you to reach beyond that and to do more than, than just that. So as our healthcare system buckles under the strain of the virus, we have to indulge more in self-care and taking care of ourselves. We, gotta, we have to address it like it's an urgent issue because it is urgent. So this is just something Maya Angelou, I'm sure most of us have heard of this poem, um, Still I Rise. Just like moons and like suns, with the certainty of tides, Just like hopes sprinting high, still I'll rise. And that's for all of you. Whatever challenge you're going through, you have to tell yourself, still I rise. You will get through it because nothing lasts forever. Nothing except for death, actually. But before you get to that point, there are things you can do to salvage, to save yourself. You got to be hopeful and you have to believe that still you'll rise. And I do believe that is the last slide. All right. And already, Dr. Delvino, thank you for that. <laughs> Go ahead, um, Dion, because people have
1: questions. I see hands up already. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. So um, before I get to the questions in the chat, I've I, I actually um, I, let me just start by wow again. Um, but Dr. Delvina, what I'd like you to do at this point uh, before we start taking questions is um, can you give us, first of all, thank you for that, um, that presentation that you just did. It was incredibly informative. Um, it was also enlightening um, and, and I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Um, the, what I want you to do at this point is to give us an overview of your practice uh, here at Broward, the type of patients that you see, and um, and I'd love to get your opinion on why mental health is such an imperative at this time. I know history shows that you know we we've been balancing a whole lot, but um, I'd like to, I'd like to get your opinion on that, please.
0: Sure. Um, So the name of my practice is DRT Behavioral Services. I'm not the most creative DRT. That's just my initials, Delvina Renee Thomas. But it works out that it's kind of like Dr. T, you know. So um, I I used to work for the prison system. When I came out of residency, I worked for eight years for the Federal Bureau of Prisons, providing mental health services to inmates who, of course, most of them were they look like us. And so that was very special to me because I was able to talk to these young men and these women and tell them that, you know, you still have a chance at life. You don't have to be dead in the water because you made this mistake and you're here in in prison. When you get out, you can work on it while you're here. And when you get out, you can overcome and do things to still make it. But once I got to about my eighth year, um, I was at that point the medical director, I was in charge of medical. And I was going to court every other day on behalf of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. The, the prison system is free healthcare, And people say it's like the best healthcare in the country because inmates, they get a lot. They're considered property. It's just the, it's a, a new way to enslave blacks. We know that most of the folks in prison are black folks. Um, and we've all heard of the pipeline of prisons. So. I got tired of going to court to defend the government when I knew the government was wrong in a lot of instances. So I had to pull away from that and decided to open uh, my private practice. So I started in 2013 kind of part time while I was still at the prison system and also in the Army Reserve because I'm, I'm also a psychiatrist for the Army. I've been in since 2003 Um, And so while juggling those things, I started my practice. It started out with just myself. I pulled in another psychiatrist to help out part time. Um, And then by we were in Miami at that time. But by February 2017, I moved to Fort Lauderdale and the practice began to grow because, um, you know, when you're out and, and about and you're meeting people and when you're a genuine, authentic person and. You just have the same energy and vibe of, as folks that you that you work with. People want to come and they want to be a part of what you're doing. And when they see what you're doing, they like that. So the folks who um, work with me at DRT, I don't say work for me. They work with me because everyone who works here is an entrepreneur in some, in some aspect. There's something else that they're doing on the side um, to further their financial gains and that um, also um, that they're passionate about. So DRT Behavioral Services is a uh, private practice that's black owned, woman owned, veteran owned, minority owned and certified as such in the state of Florida um, that has a team of eight other providers that um, assists me in taking care of patients who have mental health challenges. We provide medication management. We also provide psychotherapy. Our first go-to is usually psychotherapy, but there are times when folks come in and we know right off the bat that, you know, this person is not going to get better if they're not in therapy and also have a medication of some sort. Um, But we also have a wellness spa where we do things like facials and massages. It's by appointment only. Um, it started out as being a place just for our own patients so that we could give them alternatives to things other than medication, other than psychotherapy. And when CBD and medicinal cannabis came on the scene and Florida legalized that, we got involved with that as well. So we created um a CBD, a line of product for CBD gummies that are DRT CBD gummies. We also sell other types of CB, CBD products, such as the drops. And we also do medicinal cannabis licenses. Um, we do other things. People don't know about all of the things that um, is included in mental health, mental health care. So we also provide support letters for dogs because people have, for pets, I should say, not just dogs. People have animals. They sometimes want to take them on a plane and they want them to sit next to them. You need a letter from a psychiatrist for that. Um, We also do FMLA. We fill out disability paperwork. Oftentimes people don't know if you have a mental health issue, if someone just passed in your family and you're grieving and you just can't get out of bed to go to work and you're banging into work, You can be excused from work because of a mental health problem. It doesn't have to be physical. So we also assist in those types of things as well. And I think, oh, so the second part of that question was, why is mental health imperative at this time? Yes. You know, mental health has always been imperative. It's just unfortunate that for Black folks, we saw it as something that was a privilege. Mm. So... I can remember a time when I was in high school and a, a few of my uh, white high school friends would talk about going to their therapist and, you know, people would say, oh, they must be rich. Oh, they got a lot of money. Mm-hmm. She's going to be a the therapist. It was seen as a privilege, but for some reason in our community, it's, it's, it's interpreted as you're damaged or you're weak, or you can't cut it because you're going to see someone or you're not religious enough, or you're not praying Mm -hmm. hard enough, or you're not going to church enough. Mm -hmm. That's how we interpret it in the black community. So it's more imperative at this time, I would say because of all of the things that have been exposed recently, um, there's a lot of racial traumas in America. We've all seen that, especially just being able to sit down and be still during the pandemic. We've seen every video that's come across our television, every story that we've heard on the radio. We've heard about, you know, um, black women's children being killed in broad daylight, um, choked to death. Those things are traumatic, they're traumatizing. And so I have had patients who sought mental health care who never had a mental health issue ever in their life. And when I say mental health issue, meaning a significant issue. Um, these traumas that they've seen on television created sort of, shall I say, vicarious PTSD for some people, post-traumatic stress disorder. And that is one thing that I believe exists in the Black community that is not, for a lot of us, has not been diagnosed. But you don't have to be the on the receiving end of the trauma. You know, yeah. all of us seeing George Floyd murdered. Many of us could have developed PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder from that. You don't have to be intimately involved in that situation. You can just see it or hear about it and vicariously develop PTSD. It happened during 9-11. A lot of folks developed PTSD who weren't in Washington, D.C., who weren't in Pennsylvania, who weren't in New York when these plans landed and crashed into these buildings and killed all these people. But hearing the folks yell as they jumped from the towers out of these buildings was enough for some folks to develop PTSD or to have some sort of trauma disorder, have issues with sleeping. So, and let me also include social media in that response. Mental health is very important at this time too, because of everything that social media has brought into our lives and our children's lives. There are a lot of children who get bullied on social media that is a real issue bullying on on instagram bullying on snapchat bullying on you know for kids it used to be facebook but now that's left for the old people people like us but Mm -hmm. you know on these other platforms bullying has occurred and some children have killed themselves because of the bullying there have been a couple of articles where children have left notes about something that was said that wasn't true. One of them was something that happened on Facebook. It was a young man who, um, you know, may, we don't know what his sexuality was, but they were accusing him of being gay and he killed himself. Mm. You know, it was a student in Atlanta, I was asked by some students um, at uh, Clark Atlanta University, to speak i'm sorry not clark atlanta georgia georgia state Mm -hmm. to speak a young man had jumped from his high rise oh kill himself a black male student killed himself during the day in the morning he jumped from his balcony jesus to his death and so social media has also been a is a big factor and why mental health is imperative at this time. Why? And mental health is not just taking your kid to the psychiatrist or to the therapist, mental health is talking to your children. That is a part of mental health and wellness, having good, effective communication with your family members, being able to work out problems and issues within your family, being able to compromise and come to an understanding in your family. One of the women I saw today in the hospital, uh, some of you who were here at the beginning when we started, I mentioned how um, a couple of women attempted suicide and how I had to perform consultations today for them. One of the women told me that her biggest stress is that she and her daughter don't get along. They don't talk. They stopped talking two months ago. The -hmm. daughter in her 30s. And this woman lives here in Florida, doesn't have any other family. Her daughter is in Pennsylvania. Hmm. So it is a must. I see so many patients who have isolated themselves from their family because they can't get along. Listen, we can't always be right in every situation. There are times when you got to just let the other family member have that. Just let them have whatever it is, you know, but you understand that person, their personality and how they move or their behaviors. So there's certain things you just won't do with them or you won't confide in them about. You just have to understand how to treat that person. You got to treat them accordingly. And we have to do that to get along. But just canceling every family member and living by yourself on your own should not be an option because eventually I promise you it will get lonely because I've seen too many stories like that. I'm sorry for the long answer, Ms. No, White.
1: no, it, it, was, it, it was a much needed answer and it had great depth. And thank you so much for uh, sharing that. Uh, Link, Tamara, I'll take a question now. And I think what we'll do is we'll go back and forth between questions that I ask and others in the audience that may have uh, a question.
0: So, thanks for listening to part one, guys. Part two is next Sunday. Again, you'll hear questions from uh, some of the folks who were there. Viewing the uh, the discussion, it's a lot of questions, and these are really, 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 really good questions. I'm not just saying this. Someone is a supervisor for a company, and she asked about her employee who has a medicinal cannabis card and is allowed to smoke medicinal cannabis. He vapes it on the job. So you want to come back next Sunday or whenever you're able to listen to part two. You guys, everybody have a wonderful